Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. We have singing, a great singing, every assembly, and I thought today that the visitors just really helped us out, and I hope you enjoyed that singing. Now, we're going to uh, have, uh, have this class, and then we're going to, to dismiss for lunch, and I hope that everybody will stay for lunch. We got lots and lots of food. When was the last time you went to a church potluck? Well, this will be good. We have uh, the best cooks on the earth here. I don't think there's any disagreement with that, and, and uh, we'd, we'd love for you to stay. I hope you will. And here's what we're going to do now. Uh, we're going to talk about the Bible in this class. Well, it's a Bible class, but I mean, we're going to do an overview of the whole book. And then this afternoon, we're going to meet back at 1245 for an afternoon service, and it'll be a little shorter. And uh, what I've done is to, to go to a couple of our folks, who a couple who are, are uh, re- relatively new members. They've been here about three years. I'm not going to tell you their names. You may figure it out. That's okay. But they, uh, they became members a little while back. And so I went to them a week or so ago, and I said, now, what I want is for you to tell me, write it out, and to tell me the kinds of things that drew you here and that glued you down, because they're very involved, very faithful members of this church. What kinds of things in your life, for you, what... what now, see, they weren't, they, they came from different backgrounds, um, Catholicism and uh, Lutheran church. And so it was a, coming here was pretty new. And so what kinds of things? And they, they both individually, independently made lists. And the lists were pretty similar, but had some, some differences that I liked. And so what I'm going to do is to give you those in, uh, in that second, this afternoon service at 1245. And uh, we're going to learn from them. Let's, let's talk about the Bible as a book. And, and when we get through with this, you'll have at least uh, some feeling about what the whole Bible is about and, and how it works, how it flows. The purpose of the Bible, Psalm 119, verse 105, is to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. How long is it going to, to exist? How long will it last? Well, the answer is from the lips of Jesus, Matthew 24 and 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. They are indestructible, going to exist forever. The Bible came from the Holy Spirit, that is, 2 Peter chapter 1 and 21, holy men of God spoke as they were moved or borne along by the Holy Spirit. We call that inspiration. He inspired them to write the scriptures, and we have then the book that was inspired. It is the, it is the Word of God. It's a wonderful thing. We, we do not have the miraculous today. The first century Christians had the miraculous. It is true that God works today, and He works in our lives, and we can talk about that later. The miraculous was the supernatural, the supernatural occurrences, so that if a man, I don't know, if he was lame, uh, the Lord would heal him or could heal him, and he could, Acts 3 to 4, he could get up and walk. He didn't have to be trained how to walk, didn't have to practice, no therapy. 
that his, that his leg, legs were healed and he just got up and walked. And in fact, that passage says he was jumping and leaping. There were the miraculous things that happened. Lazarus was raised. We don't have those today. We do have the working of God, but he works through natural means. Where I'm going with this is that when you hold the Bible, you're holding the product of a miracle. That's just pretty impressive. This is a book, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that was inspired of the Holy Spirit. And you, and you possess it. The first five books of the Old Testament are called sometimes the Pentateuch. Pente means five. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. When you start Genesis, you start what we call the patriarchal age. You don't have to call it that, but it does make sense to divide the Bible out into three parts and, and characterize them by how God communicated with people. So in the patriarchal age, God talked to the fathers of the families directly, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And then you have the Mosaic age, and they have the law of Moses, and we call that the Old Testament law. And that'll bring us up to the New Testament. You have the Gospels, and and we go on through the New Testament. Genesis, of course, is the book of creation, and that God made this world in six literal 24-hour periods. Adam, Eve, the first man and woman. And then you have Noah, and you have the flood, a worldwide flood. And the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, in verse 20, that the whole earth was destroyed, and eight souls were saved by water. There are ten generations between Adam and Noah, and then ten more between Noah and Abraham. Now you get to Abraham, and, and the Bible says in Genesis 22, through your seed, all nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That's about Jesus. And, and Jesus is going to come through the seed line of Abraham. Now, that's important to understand the Bible because that starts us off in Genesis. And you see then from Abraham, his descendants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And from Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons. And that's going to be important because Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And these are, the, these are going to be the the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, Joseph, and Benjamin. And so you have the 12 tribes of Israel that spring from Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel. Again, why that's important is that these people are the ones through whom the Messiah will come. It wasn't that they were so much more righteous than everybody else. It was that God chose them for this role. The Old Testament isn't exclusively about them, about the people of Israel, but it's predominantly about the the seed line. Why is that so important? Is it because they were so amazing, such amazing people? Nope, it wasn't that. It was because of the Messiah. It's because Jesus would come through this line. So the, the Old Testament is predominantly about those people. All right, so we finish the book of Genesis with Joseph. Joseph was sold as a slave into Egypt, but he gained remarkable power and was finally in a great powerful position, second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And that's how you close the book of Genesis. He goes and fetches his people, Jacob and all of his brothers and their families, and he brings them to save them from a famine, brings them to 
Egypt because he's so powerful he can do this and he can sustain them. By the way, he put them in the land of Goshen. Did your grandmother ever exclaim, land of Goshen? Well, this is, this is a place in Egypt. It was the best of the land in Egypt, and that's where he put his family. Well, they grew. They grew until they were about, I mean, this is a long time, long period of time, but they grew to be 600,000 men plus women and children. So you got over a million, arguably, over a million Israelites living in Egypt. You get to Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and I'm not going to spend this much time on all of them, but you get to Exodus chapter 1 and verse 8, and it says, there arose a king who knew not Joseph. Point is, he didn't respect the Israelite people at all. He didn't respect what Joseph had before done for the Egyptians. He didn't, you know, you have a new administration. Doesn't think the same way as the other one. And so he's afraid of the Israelites. You got about a million of them. And what, what could happen is that they turn on us. So he was a little afraid of them. And, and what he does is to make slaves of them. And this is the book of Exodus. The reason it's called Exodus is that God raises up Moses, to bring the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. How long has it been? Somewhere around 400 years. They've been from Abraham here to, to this point, and God says, Moses, I want you to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't care about your God. Why would I do what he says? Does he know who I am? That was the attitude. And so God brings 10 plagues on the Egyptians, water turned to blood, frogs, lice, flies, murrhine of the cattle, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Ultimately, the last one, the big one, the death of the firstborn. These things did not affect the Israelite people. These things only affected the Egyptians. And the Egyptians, I mean, pretty, pretty quick into this, didn't want anything else to do with those Israelites. They knew that this God was bigger than anything they'd ever seen. And when you get to that end, they say, Pharaoh says, go, just go, leave us alone. And that's what happened. Now, God, God has a people then, the Israelite people, but they're a bunch of slaves. That, that's all they've known is slavery. And, and they're, not, they're, they're disjointed. Now, what do you do to bind the people together? And the answer is you give them a law. That's one thing. You give them a law to govern them, and it holds them together. And so he says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to take you back to the land of Canaan, and that will be your inheritance. It will be your land. Parenthetically, there's a great disagreement today about, about present-day Israel, and don't, aren't they entitled to that land over there? And I'm, I can't go into a lot of this today because that's not the direction, but the answer is that all the promises that God made to Israel were long ago fulfilled. They've been fulfilled. And so it is not a legitimate claim today that, that biblically they should have land over there. But that's, that's different uh, from our discussion. So Moses then brings them out of Egypt by the power of God. They, they get the law. They cross the Red Sea. They get the law on Mount Sinai, and Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments. He's got the law, we call it the law of Moses, the, the covenant of God. But Moses is a long time up on that mountain, and the people weary of that. What you start to see is a lack of faith. They don't got a lot of faith in God. 
And he's going, to, he's going to put them in the land of Canaan. The problem is that they've got a lot of work to do. They're going to have to drive those idolatrous, heathen Canaanites out of the land of Canaan. God's giving the Israelites this land. They're going to live for him, and this is what he wants. So he's, he's punishing the idolatry of the Canaanites while he brings in the Israelites. But the Israelites are going to have to hold the swords. So he's given them a law. He's given them a promise of the land. And now they, they are headed toward Canaan. God says, take, take a man from every tribe of the 12 tribes. Go spy out the land of Canaan. They come back and they say, no, no, you know what? We can't go in there because they're, they're just giants and we're just like grasshoppers in front of them. We can't go in there because we will be, they'll chew us up and spit us out. No. Well, well excuse me, excuse me, but what, 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 what does that attitude, what is it missing out on? And the fact is, that they didn't have any faith in God. They didn't have any faith in God. That God said, does God keep his word? Does God have the power? God said, I will deliver you from the Canaanites. Go in there and I will be with you and they can't raise a sword again. I'll, I'll take them. I'll take, take you through that. I, but they don't, they don't have the faith in God. Come back and they, only two of them out of the 12, Joshua and Caleb, only two say, we, we can do this with God's help. Of course we can. Let's go. But the rest of them said no. It just infuriated God. And he said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to leave you in this wilderness for 40 years. And everybody's going to die out. I need a new group. I need a new Israel. And so everybody 20 years old and older is going to die in these 40 years. And then what I'm going to head into Canaan with are the ones who are 19 years old and younger currently. And so that happens. Now, Leviticus is the giving of law. It is to teach the Israelite people how to be holy before a holy God. It is to teach them how to be sanctified people. It's to teach them punishments if they walk away from God. And Leviticus is full of amazing detail about the specific ways that God wanted to be worshipped and how they were to serve him. The book of Numbers is two numberings of the people. The first one is when, when, just when I described, and then they go, want to go, and then they go to, to Canaan to spy it out and say, we can't do it, can't do it, don't trust in God, can't do it. And so they have these 40 years and, and all but the youngsters die out. And the second numbering is when that's finished. All right, so there's a logic to that. The book of Deuteronomy is a beautiful book. Deuteronomy means second law. And, and the point of that is that, that the people now who are the youngsters I'm describing that way, who are headed into Canaan, they, they need a refresher course on the law of God. Deuteronomy does that. It gives them that refresher, and they head into the land of Canaan. Now to the book of Joshua. Moses dies, Deuteronomy 34, and, and Joshua then is the leader of Israel. And he's the one who's going to take them into Canaan to to fight these battles and to conquer Canaan. And and it went pretty good for a while. And they have have some battles. They go to Jericho. They go to Ai. They continue on. And they're having, I mean, Jericho was a piece of cake. They they went in there. And my theory is that the Jerichoans uh, had their arms glued to their sides. Because so far as we know, there were no Israelite casualties. None. That's pretty amazing. God was with them. God said, I'll, I'll do this. You go and I'll, I'll be with you. We'll do this. 
And so Jericho is a great example of that. But what happened is that by and by, the Israelites got tired of battle. They, didn't, they wanted to, the land started being divided out in, in, in Joshua. So this tribe got this part of land in Canaan and this part of land. And they divided it out. But they wanted to build homes and farms. And they grew tired of the, of the stress of driving out the Canaanite people. But God had warned them over and over again. Drive them out, like I'm telling you, what will happen is that your sons and daughters are going to intermarry with them. Now, I don't know what, if you, if you really grasp the significance of that, but you take idolatrous people and marry them up with God's people, and what happens is you get children, and probably half of them are going to be idolatrous, or maybe none of them will be faithful to God, and suddenly you dilute the people who trust God. And you compromise, you compromise, and before long, you just don't have people who are faithful to God. Don't you do it? They'll, they'll be, if, you, if you don't drive out the Canaanites, what's going to happen is all of that intermarrying, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, there'll be thorns in your sides. There'll be, there'll be pricks in your eyes. Don't do it. Don't do it. And that's what they did. Again, they got tired of, of fighting, and they, so they... So they they let the Canaanites stay there. In some cases, they charge them tribute. Uh, we'll, we'll let you stay here beside us, live beside us, and you can pay us tax, which is stupid. Why would, why, that not, that's not what God told them to do. That's not why they were there. It was opposed to what God said. Anyway, that, that's what happened. So you get to the book of Judges. And Judges is, is a series of six different times when the, the locals that were left there would overcome the Israelites and, um, and, and oppress them. I mean, they would crush their crops. They would, they would harm them, hurt them. The, the Israelites were afraid of them. So this thing is sort of, and it's cyclical. The book of Judges is six different servitudes. You have 12 different judges, last 300 years. So three centuries of time, long time. And, and it's a very sad book. You have... A beautiful rose in the middle. You have Ruth. Ruth is a story that happens about some individuals right in the middle, and it reminds you that the Messiah is coming, but, but there you are. First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. So you finish up with the Judges, the book of Judges, and you have Samuel, and, and some view him as the final judge, perhaps, depending on how you look at it, probably that was the case. But Samuel's sons weren't faithful. And, and they were just going to take over his role as if that's how it was supposed to be done. But they were, they were wicked fellows. And the people of Israel came and said, we just can't stand this. We, we don't want this anymore. We want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And so we want to have a king, a monarchy. What's the, what, was the, what, what, what were they now? And the answer is a theocracy. God was their king. They want to be like other nations. And God says, you don't want to do this. Let me tell you what he's going to do. He's going to, he's going to make servants of your sons and daughters. You don't want to do this. But they did. And sometimes God would give, maybe did your parents ever do this, to ever, ever give you something they said wasn't good for you because they warned you and you were stubborn and you wanted it anyway? Well, okay, I'll tell you what. You go ahead. You go ahead. Well, that's what happened in this case. You go ahead. Go ahead and get you a king. His name was Saul. And, and uh, the succession then of kings, you had Saul Ishbosheth, just for a short time, David, Solomon, and Solomon's son was Rehoboam. 
And so the kings, you have the kings. When Rehoboam became king, he was, his daddy was a smart man, but he was not a smart man. And he just divided the nation up. I mean, there was infighting and, and it, was, it was awful. And he split it, not, not right down the middle, but you had what became the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern kingdom, which is Judah. And, and they were divided. So Judah was made up of predominantly um, Judah and Benjamin. And so you had the northern kingdom was much bigger. Israel was much bigger. And now you, you read down through the kings and you have a series of kings on both sides. And, and most of them were wicked. Some were righteous, but most were wicked. The prophets, and now I'm going to get pretty fast here. The prophets are written to, to each of those two kingdoms, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, to, to say, let me warn you about what's about to happen. Or you must be righteous before God, and if you're not, God will never approve you. And, and there you have the predominant thing of the, of the prophets. You do have some written to Gentiles, people who are outside of God, because they were, God made them too. And so you have Edom, the Edomites, and you have prophesied about, and you have Nineveh, and etc. Um, you have, the, the, you have the, the, the poetry. The books of poetry are Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, and um, Lamentations. And so, what is the theme of the Old Testament? This is what you must get. Uh, what I gave is, is a sort of a, that's a very, very, very quick thumbnail sketch just to give you an overview of the Old Testament. That's what it's about. But the, but the theme of the Bible is Jesus Christ. The hero of the Bible is Jesus Christ. So all that I've said, the point of, of the Israelite nation about which the Old Testament is predominantly written is because of the Messiah. It's because of the Messiah and so you get to the New Testament. Between the Old Testament and New Testament are 400 years, 400 silent years. But when you get to the New Testament, you do see changes. What you have now is the Jews, and, and the Jews are divided into different, for lack of a better term, denominations. So you have the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Herodians. You have different, different factions of Judaism. A lot of time has passed, a lot of time. And, and Jerusalem, you know, has been rebuilt and et cetera. But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of the New Testament are called the gospel accounts. Here are four different accounts of the life of Jesus between the birth and the death on the cross. The book of Acts takes up where that leaves off, and we call it Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. It's the history of the church. Wow, the early days of the church. And it's terrific. It starts with Jesus ascending back to the Father in Acts 1. In Acts 2, you have Pentecost. The first Pentecost after that, Pentecost was an annual Jewish feast. And 3,000 Jews, Jews became Christians. They were baptized into Christ, 3,000 of them. And the Bible says that they were added to the church. Remarkable. The Jews crucified Jesus. And yet... The apostles of Jesus, Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, James, the last Simon, Thaddeus, Judas, the apostles of Jesus were performing miracles 
And on that day of Pentecost, they spoke in tongues, languages which they had never studied. And they could preach and preach, and that's what Peter did, and convicted those people of their sins, and, and especially emphasized that Jesus was crucified, and you did it, you did it, and you know it, and now he's raised or resurrected from the dead. God wouldn't allow him to stay in the grave, and three days he was resurrected, and you know it. He, he pointed at him and said, and you know it, and you know what they did. Because a ton of them had seen Jesus alive after they had seen him dead. A ton of them knew that it was true that he was resurrected. The book of Acts then gives you this early history. And also the starting of congregations of the church of Christ. So you have, you have one in Rome. You have in Ephesus, Colossae, Thessalonica. And so the, the New Testament has these what we call epistles. They're letters that are written to these churches. Now, why, why is that important to us? Why would we care about that? And the answer is this. The, the New Testament is the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. It's for us. It's for us to know how the church should look. What, what should we do? How should we behave? What should we teach? What should we practice? That's the purpose of the New Testament. Now, I'll tell you, that's not how everybody sees it, of course. And many have seen fit to start all sorts of different religions and call them Christian. But, but pure Christianity is the New Testament. All your life, I mean, you need to adopt this, this thought, this concept. Practice all of your life. When someone says about any subject, uh, what should we do about this religiously? The answer should not be, let's go to men and their denominations, their, their religions. Let's go back to the New Testament. That's the answer. Let's find out what the New Testament says. So you have these letters written, inspired letters written to these churches to say, here's how you get it right. Here's, here's how you do it right. Here's how you worship the right way. Here's how you teach people the right way. Here's what you do. Now, I love that. Because it's not subject to human interpretation. You, you read it for yourself. Common people can read the Bible. You don't have to have a degree in theology to read the New Testament. And this overview hopefully is helpful. So you have New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's the life of Christ. The book of Acts is the history of the New Testament church. And also tells about churches being started. And then you have I mean, different places. And then you have these epistles, these letters written to the churches. Telling them what the book of 1 Corinthians is written to the Corinthian church, church at Corinth. Oh, I, I don't know what we would do without it. I mean, there's so much information in there. Chapter 1, I want united and no divisions among you, Christians. In chapter 2, you know, he says, we got this, this Bible. I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. But God's revealed them unto us by his spirit. That is, the New Testament didn't come from man. You, you people didn't imagine it. You didn't think it up. The New Testament came from God. Have, the book of 1 Corinthians tells us how to eat the Lord's Supper. It tells us how to give of our means. It tells us how to support preaching. It, it just so many wonderful things. Here's the purpose of these epistles. So you have this collection of letters then written in the New Testament to the churches. Um, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
First and Second Thessalonians. And then you have First and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And these are letters that are written to church leaders. Philemon had the church meeting in his house. Timothy was a young preacher. Titus was a young preacher. So you have this, this short collection of the letters written to church leaders. Then you have what we call the general epistles, letters, that are just that are meant to be circulated, and um, the book of Hebrews, right? Uh, Philemon, Hebrews, James, First and Second Peter, and Second and Third John, and Jude are general epistles. They're, they're to be circulated and used about it. So many, great, so many great things were taught. And then the final one is the book of Revelation. This is apocryphal. Apocryphal has a couple of different meanings, and one is something that was hidden and now is revealed. Apocryphal means the end times. It's about the end t- times. And so... There's a lot of symbol, uh, symbolisms in Revelation. It makes it very difficult to read. But Revelation 2 and verse 10 is huge. Be faithful unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. The main theme of Revelation is that people who are faithful Christians are going to go to heaven. And so you get to chapter 21 of Revelation and you have this wonderful description of what, what heaven is going to be like. And it gives us that courage and anticipation. Now, what's the purpose of the Bible? Why do we have it? Is it important? It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. How long is it going to exist? How long? And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away until the trumpet blows. You and I are going to be responsible. Human beings are going to be responsible for studying the Bible and obeying it. What we need to be is a church of God's people that believes and preaches and practices what the New Testament says. We're not under the law of Moses anymore. We're not under the patriarchal age. We're in the Christian age. This is the New Testament law. And we love the Old Testament because there's so many things that we couldn't know about the New Testament except for that. We need to learn from those things. It's not our law. God told Noah to build an ark. You don't need to build an ark. God had a Levitical priesthood and the garments and the practices and the, the sacrifices. No, not, not true today. We have one sacrifice. That's Jesus. Is the New Testament. And so there you are. I'm going to cut the class right there and say, I'm glad that you're here. So glad that you came. And particularly those of you who are visitors and some of you have never been here before. I hope that you will stay for lunch and we're going to have... A, have a good time. We, we um, love to worship, and we love to study the Bible, and we love to eat, and we love to have fun together, and we do a lot of all of those things. So let's pray, and then we will, we will end there, and you'll be dismissed. Father, thank you, thank you for the Bible, and thank you that it is shallow enough in ways that children can understand, and deep enough in ways that people can study it and study it all of their lives and that we can know the truth and that we can live by the truth. And we thank you for, for inspiring men to write it and that we've got it. Help us, Father, to, to love you supremely and to serve you the way that your word says. Bless us and help us and give us wisdom and courage. 
In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you for being here. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.